Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. It's a podcast about making work better. Thank you for listening. First thing I always tell people is if you are interested in work, the changing face of work, how we can make work better, improving your team culture, then the first thing I recommend is you go to the website eatsleepworkrepeat.com and sign up for the newsletter. That's just a weekly selection of some of the best things, best articles, best inspiration. Today's episode is going to be about mental health. And it's going to be a first-person account of a mental health episode that left someone in a bad place. And he's going to describe his journey through that bad place into to the better place he's at now. It's a powerful listen today. A good friend of mine mentioned in passing that he'd caught up with someone, Chris Haywood, that we both knew from business. Me, when I used to work at YouTube and Twitter... My friend said that Chris had opened up to him about a breakdown episode that he'd experienced a couple of years ago. We use words like breakdown, what do they really mean? Effectively, he hadn't been feeling good and it had left him in a bad place mentally. And in that place, he'd contemplated even more extreme action. Actually, I think what you're going to hear is a timely discussion. Chris wasn't alone in feeling like this. In a recent piece of research, Deloitte surveyed a thousand British employees And 55% of them said they felt just as productive working from home as remotely. But 38% said that lockdown had had a very negative impact on their well-being. And today's episode is going to be an in-depth discussion of that well-being, mental or otherwise. Let me explain who Chris was. When it comes to the ads that you see on TV and video websites, you may or may know that there's a whole industry involved in buying those placements. And that work is done by media agencies whose job it is to use the swagger that their big budgets afford them to get them the cheapest ad spots for their customers who are the brands. It's a marketplace characterized by big personalities, by bravado, performance and ego. But in the midst of all of that, Chris Haywood was one of the most important players recognized along the way by the industry trade press as the recognition of being the most impactful person in that space. But he was a real contrast to that archetype of the bombastic television buyer, something of a scouse intellectual. Hayward is intelligent, erudite, thoughtful, and renowned for his passions, really, passions for music, passions for football. So before my friend mentioned, I'd heard that Chris hadn't been well last year, but hadn't really known the full details. And I didn't know him well enough to feel like I could just spontaneously contact him. 
know, these things are sensitive. We don't know what the right things to say are. So when my friend Judgy said that Chris had had a low moment, but was really keen to discuss it, to share with other people who might find themselves in the same situation, I arranged to go down and have a conversation with him. So I went down before the lockdown to chat to today's guest, Chris Haywood. He lives near Woking. I just want to give you a trigger warning. If you are likely to be upset by discussions of depression and suicide, then please be warned that they, they play a significant part of this dialogue. I want to flag that I'm not a trained journalist. I do know that themes of these issues need to be handled carefully. And before meeting Chris, I read guidelines on how to cover these things, how to refer to them. Most importantly, if you are distressed by these themes or if you feel that maybe they touch a nerve with how you're feeling, I've put details with a few organisations who can help in the show notes. Chris's point is that more than anything, you should reach out to, to talk to other people. The thing you're going to find is firstly how Chris found himself in this situation out of nowhere, a person who loved so much of his life and was filled with passions. His life took a dark turn for the worse by really an unexpected accident that left him in hospital. Out of nowhere, things spiralled out of control. But you're also going to hear how he tried different approaches of coping, discovering which was the best way for him to adapt. And you're going to hear, if you are finding yourself in these difficulties, you're going to hear a real vivid description of how he uses cognitive behavioural therapy to put himself in a better place. As I say, please do tap into all those resources if you feel that this is relevant to you. This is a personal, intimate discussion with someone who's been brave enough to share. Before we go into this, I do want to say, if you do get any benefit from this, please do share it with a friend. The reason why Chris reached out to me is that having gone through such a potent journey himself, he wanted to spread the word and reach as many people as possible to tell them that their situation isn't desperate. So please do share it if you found a benefit. This is my discussion with Chris Haywood. Should we jump in? So I, I, it's probably worth you doing a bit of explain who you are and what you do, really. So what have I really, got here? Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly that. All right. So Chris Hayward, I think for more years than I care to remember, I was worked for Zenith and I went from being head of uh, TV to head of all media. Absolutely loved and adored that job. What year did you start there? I started in the year 2000. Uh, loved and adored that job. And then, you know, everything I thought was going really well from a professional point of view and from, you know, family point of view, kids doing well. But I was happy. And then I had the freakest of uh, freakest accidents. I went to see a gig in North London in the chapel. Uh, Union Chapel, uh, and despite what people might have said later, I was not drunk because you basically can't drink, can't drink in, the, in, in, in that venue. And I was crossing the road. It's not an area in New Well. And then there was a massive dip in the road on the bus lane. It was late. I was walking across the road at full belt. And I went down the dip and I crashed onto my knees. And when I came to standing up, I couldn't stand up. As it later transpired, I'd lost the patella tendon in each in each knee. The chances of that happening to the same person at the same time, literally, as you know, the surgeon and people said afterwards, about one in a billion. When you say lost, what crushed? A patella tendon is basically that part which connects your yeah. lower leg yeah. bone to your quadriceps. 
And so if you rupture them, as I did, well, I'd say they basically become on impact, they both exploded, it then means that you've got no leverage mechanism at all between your lower leg and your upper leg. So your legs are flapping. So, you know, and I'm standing up, but all the standing movement, all those type of movements, you know, you're doing lunges and stuff like that, they're entirely dependent on the existence of the patella tendon in each knee. And to lose that, obviously, not ideal. Anyway, I didn't really re realise the gravity of it. To me, it was like a broken ankle or something like that. Okay, you just have to suck it and see. But what I hadn't really anticipated was the surgery requires then, they basically, as far as I can make out, put in a false elastic band wrapped around my knee, attached to the lower leg bone and to the quadriceps at the top of the knee. But in order that that takes place, you basically have to lie on your back with your legs dead straight in braces for six weeks, which I can't tell anyone was not ideal. And then because they're frightened that you're going to burst, burst the operation. And then I lived down here for basically four months. I'm in my front room, by the way. And then... I had to learn to walk again. During that stage, I did one set of negotiations, the tele-negotiations, and I was thinking, oh, that, this will be all right. But then when, you know, obviously learning to walk again, and then I went back to work. And uh, the truth is, you know, I went back to work too early and... Ultimately, how were you feeling at that stage? Were you physically exhausted, mentally exhausted? Well, not not mentally, or I might have had the first signs of some mental health. But what I was, I was completely exhausted, as in the true sense of the word, yeah. knackered. Yeah. And you know, uh, Zenith were very good. They laid on a car and all that type of stuff to facilitate my uh, return to work. But the truth is. And I should not have gone back to work at all or attempted. You know, I think one of the things, you know, I can only talk from my experience, you know, the physical injury, that's... But you read stuff now about footballers and stuff because, it, you know, their livelihood depends on it. But there is a mental thing that goes with it. You know, one, you buy yourself. Two, the degree to which you will recover depends on your willingness to do the routine of these rehab exercises, which is day in, day out. But all that and basically, you know, having to learn to walk again from the start really comes at a price in terms of the physical expenditure of energy. You are exhausted. Now, what I realised with hindsight, I didn't realise how tired I was. I think a Chris Hayward in a stronger mental state would have said, I can't do this. I am actually volunteering to take off three months or whatever that case would be. But it's like, you know, in that start of that whole issue with the mental health issue is that you withdraw into yourself. And I have to say at this stage, I'm very clear, my family would give me great support. We talked about what happened to me since. The blame, I don't attach any blame to them or to anybody external. It's because I was just tired. I just felt I was 
beaten down. You know, I didn't realize that what was also happening was I was beating myself up on a regular basis. Like, you know, the fact that, you know, I was going into work and coming home completely drained, that was due to my deficiency, not because the thing was too hard. You know, Bruce, the, you know... What, I what used, do you mean by that? Your deficiency, meaning... My inadequacy. Right. You know, it's kind of, you know, I was going to say, you know, where... Uh, up to that point, I ran regularly. You yeah, know, I was really, right. I was really into me running. I was very into feeling pretty fit. Yeah, to feel like that was a very strange sensation right. for me, and I didn't put it down to well, if you've been on your back for, well, I was basically on my back for the best part of four months and still ready, and then you start getting up and then you try and got away. It's no wonder you're feeling a bit tired, yeah, yeah. but you know that kind of rationality is the rationality that my experience through CBT would bring now. But it wasn't, a, you know, I didn't have that experience at the time. And then kind of just uh, going into work every day, spending time with myself, you're inadequate, you're feeble. And then, well, actually, you're pretty useless. You know, I was finding the job quite tough because you mm. would, wouldn't you? You know, mm. going back to that. You're doing this not because uh, it's normal to go back to jobs because actually, Hayward, you've always bluffed it. You've uh, you've never really been any good. And then, you know, that period... Had you already had those sort of self-doubts or was it just particularly then? Um, looking back on it, Bruce, I think there were signs, but not in any way, shape or form, very obvious. For example... At school, believe it or not, I was a bit of a swat and all that type of stuff. Before the science exams, I'd be sick. And, you know, when it came to finals, I remember I'd managed to get myself into a right old state about my Spanish oral. And when I came to my Spanish oral, I opened my mouth and nothing came out which is not ideal for an oral exam. So, you know, there were indications earlier on, but, you know, nothing manifests like that to that extent. So, you know, one of the things I want to say to people within this is to describe very clearly, as accurately as I can, the feelings that I felt at that specific time. And, and, And to say that, Hindsight is a wonderful thing, and I do believe in, you know, seeking help and all that's helped me enormously. But at the time, you know, in my case, I just felt I was very, very tired. But then, you know, that kind of lack of self-esteem, the withdrawal, because you think, oh, I'm useless, I better not tell anybody about this, I can't do this project at work and all that. And eventually it came to a head over a couple of days where... You know, I was about to uh, go into work and I thought, I can't do this. You know, I spent then the next couple of days contemplating and seeking a place where, you know, I would end my life. And then within that, I uh, fled to Liverpool and disappeared. So, so in this two days where you're contemplating ending things, were you coming back here? Were you here? Were you at home? Or no, I you... fled. Did you? Know, you? Okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, because you know, I sort of. Uh, it's important to to say that you know the reason in my case was not that I wanted to hurt myself or anything. I was just fed up, feeling that I was useless and right. crap, 
And the way I wanted to do it was to have, um, you know, go to sleep forever, really. Right. I mean, that was, the, that, that was going on in my head. But, you know, that went on and I, I was eventually found in Liverpool. And then, uh, obviously, because I'd mentioned, uh, you know, I'd had uh, thoughts about finishing my life, then they wanted to, uh, I, I sort of psych- they took me to uh, be, uh, have a psychiatric examination. And um, I had a wonderful friend who helped, drove up my wife up to collect me. And I spent time with the kind of scientific nurse who was there. And I said, it's, this is not family related. If you separate me from your family, this will actually really make matters a lot mm. worse. So thankfully I didn't have to stay in the hospital because uh, my wife and friend vouched for me. Jim Kavanagh, if uh, people know his name, he was wonderful. I came back and then I had a wonderfully sympathetic uh, locum doctor who just, uh, I got taken to the the surgery, uh, the GP surgery. I couldn't speak there because I was so exhausted. And he got, in touch with the priory there and then and then the following within a few days my uh, rehab or my treatment started at the priory but again the priory wanted to commit me and yes no 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 that my wife and family are a happy part of my life mm. they're so fundamentally not part of the problem that if you remove me from them, that's not going to help my mm. mental state at all. But, you know, I think it's very important. And one of the reasons I want to do this is because having spoken to people, and I remember when I then, a lot later, went back to work three days a week, people were very interested. I didn't raise the subject with them. But I thought, if people do ask me the questions, I will answer as as candidly as I can, in the hope that if they're feeling some of those things that I felt, they will recognise they are not the only ones ever to have felt those things because that is one of the key things I carry away from it. Nobody has been as inadequate as me. I'm useless to everyone. And, you know, you do have a fear. Well, no one can have ever ever felt as useless as me. So one of the reasons I want to talk candidly is that, you know, I do think that a lot of people, not a lot of people, but people do have those thoughts. And I what, think... What was it like in those t- that point where you, you said you were setting off on a journey, on the journey to work, was it? Uh, yeah. Were you getting a car? Were you getting a train? How, how were you getting there? Um, I'd got a train... I mean, the journey, you can imagine, I was still not greatly mobile. Yeah. So I was on the train and then, you know... And what's going it, through your head? What had happened was that over the course of, let's say, three or four days, I'd got to a point where I just thought, oh, I'm so tired, you know. Right. And then it's, why am I tired? Well, you're tired because you're useless. Right. You know, so, well, where does this go? You know, kind of, I suppose, on the journey into work that day, I was asked to do something which I hadn't done because I was too tired to do it. I thought, I'll blag it. 
And I just went, I remember going to the door and think, I can't bluff this because I haven't actually got the energy to yeah. bluff this. I don't want to disparage the professionalism that I feel is in the, the, in the media buying side of things. But sometimes you can blag your way through a meeting and they thought, all right, get myself together and I'll make sure I'm on top from the follow-up, you know, the follow-up meeting. But I just thought, I haven't got the energy to do this. And then I went outside and he thought, I'm just so tired, I'm just so tired. And it goes, it, uh, it escalated from the feeling of inadequacy at that point of going into it to the point, you know what, I can't go on like this. I just want to go to sleep forever. And then, you know, but that grows for that. That went from that whole thing of inadequacy yeah. over, well, let's say, I don't know, four or five days. It's impossible for me. Where to, did you go? So you, you. Where did I go? Yeah. And and what were you thinking each step of the way, really? Because you must have slept somewhere. So so um, as you were going to sleep, did you? Uh, you know, frankly, I went up and down Tottenham Court Road looking for lorry or a bus to throw myself right. under and I decided that there was so much traffic in Tottenham Court Road that that wasn't the way because I say the idea is not my purpose was not to self-harm my purpose was really to put an end to this whole heaviness that was in which I was shrouded I then went to Vauxhall station and stood on the station fully with it to throw myself in front of a train but then I don't know if you've ever been to and I am smiling it's not funny uh, to Vauxhall Junction but all I could see were these trains coming in and I couldn't wor work out whether they were coming into my platform they're in another platform right. and I was I stood there for about an hour I thought I can't work this one out either so then gone on a train to Surbiton and Surbiton, exactly the same thing. I thought, well, sod this. You know, this is not going the way I intended to. And I went for a drink in a pub right near Surbiton Station. And you've known me for a number of years, Bruce. It has to be said that I, I do quite like a drop of lark, strong lager now and again or a glass of red wine. And I sat and nursed a pint, I remember, for two hours. Right. I thought, well, you know, you don't want to do this, do you? And I went to Liverpool. And, and at this stage, are your family trying to get in touch with you? Or have they know? Well, that you... they didn't know that, you know, obviously that first day. Yeah. Could have and, been at work. Uh, you know, I was at work. And then, um, you know, I think the first, you know, the first night I spent in Liverpool, yep, yeah, uh, Christina rang round uh, all me work stroke social buddies to see if anybody had seen me right. because you know I didn't have a not every day but there were there was a slight history of having long lunches now yeah. and again was your phone off at this stage oh the the uh, the, the phone was switched off right, right. and you know because you'd had that triggering moment of the message on the way in yeah yeah right so okay so I, uh, you know, I remember, I remember going to Houston Station and, you know, obviously buying a short-term ticket to Liverpool. I think it was 
165 pounds one way, and I think that probably was the biggest shock of me day to, you know, be charged that. Uh, you know, I went to Liverpool, I didn't know what to do in Liverpool, if I'm honest again, you know, thought about going to one of my favourite places and throwing myself in the Mersey, but it was only a thought at that stage. And, you know, I passed the night there in the days, hadn't contacted anyone. Did you get a hotel or did, what did you do? Yeah, got did a you? hotel. And that's ultimately how Christina traced me. Right, credit um, card. You know, credit cards right. and stuff. You know, particularly on the second day when, you know, I happened reappeared and nobody had seen us. Eventually, a very uh, understanding constable came and knocked on the door. Because I'd actually spent the day thinking, right, you know, so nothing happened yesterday. What's going to happen today? And very similar to my experience in the service and pub, I sat in a bar in in a hotel I had by that stage decided to change hotels. Don't ask me why. I thought that might throw people off my sense if they were looking for me. And I remember sitting at that bar for three hours and again nursing one pint and thinking, well, this is useless. And then all these kind of, I don't know what day it was, there was all these people from out of town and all that kind of stuff there. And then I just went back to me room. Again, by that stage, I was completely exhausted. So he thought, what was I thinking? Very hard for me to describe in detail, except I was in a very, very heavy, tired fog. And I just lay on my bed and basically did nothing. As I say, I think towards... I don't know, in the early evening, the police found us. And then uh, I was taken to a hospital in Liverpool, whereby, you know, these things take forever. Uh, My wife and uh, Jim Kavanagh had arrived and um, going through all that kind of psychiatric thing to assess my state of mind. Mm. I think by that stage, there was no state of mind I was in, you know, the way now on reflection I would uh, describe it, it was like having the worst kind of flu that you've ever had. I don't know if you've ever had proper flu, Mm. but, you know, your bones are tired, you're tired. The way I... And, you know, when I have uh, low moments... One of the key signi- uh, uh, symptoms to me is that tiredness is mm. there. And I would call it tiredness of the eyeballs. Mm. It's when your eyeballs are tired. You know, that's when I know I've got to, uh, you know, I'm in a low period and I, I need to take some uh, steps to uh, make sure it doesn't get any worse. And what's happened since? So, how are you feeling now? Me, you know, I'm. I hope you can see that I'm very open about it. You know, I think I'm very lucky on a number of levels. One, to have come through that. Uh, The support of my family has been amazing. You know, I really found out some fantastic, some fantastic friends. And 
the thing with this is you can't control those thoughts coming back. I mean, I, the Priory, you know, you spend time, I spent a total of eight weeks not in there all the time, you know, going through various sessions and stuff. And the re, you get taken into different sessions and I think part of parcel of that is so that you find the thing that hmm. works for you. And there are certain parts of CBT that work for me with the experience and, you know, I do have sat down and thought about it, not like to throw myself into gloom, but to try and understand how I can manage this. You know, one of the things about CBT is manage what you can manage. You know, save mm. yourself a list, all this type of stuff, and then, you know, work your way through that list. You can't manage what you can't control. And one of the things I find I can't control is the arrival of those dark moments. Right. But, you know, there are, there are certain common characteristics to the arrival of those, which will be the tiredness. Mm. The tiredness and the withdrawal. Now, you'd think that you'd see that straight away, but, you know, my, no matter how often it happens to me, it's probably several days in before I think, oh, I, you know, right. I'm having a moment right. here. And then because, you know, that withdrawal into yourself is very unconscious. For me, it is that tiredness, as I said, but also almost concurrent will that will be a disinclination to do those things I know bring me enjoyment. Right. So no interest in doing any exercise, what way shops are I love music, don't listen to any music, and you know, I shut down my my reading as well. Now they're probably the three most obvious characteristics for me that I need and, to And be a couple aware of things. Of. Do you recognise that you'd had any episodes like that before? No. And have you found any way then when you recognise those things now to get out of that? Yeah, well, I was going to say, see, the CB, uh, I don't recall ever having ever, uh, had those things before, but what I'd had, I think, was certain signs of I was prone to anxiety in right. extreme cases. And obviously it went into a very extreme level there. What I do now is I do recognise now when it's happening and my family are fantastic. I think they see it within a day. Yeah. It takes me a couple of days. Yeah. You all right. You're not cute. You don't seem happy about it. And I know what to do now. You can't ever tell yourself to rid yourself of those thoughts. Mm. That is impossible. Uh, yeah. For me, what I do now is because that, that tiredness is all-consuming, as I say, getting me eyeballs. I actually now rest for a day. Mm. I do rest for a day because I genuinely feel tired, even though that might have a mental cause for it. And so my wife and my family recognised that. I said, oh, today, I'm not doing anything today. I'm just giving in. Not giving in. I'm just resting because I need to rest. I feel mm. so tired. And then, you know, I then see how I am on day two. But normally on day two, I will then say, 
I have playlists now for various parts of my mental condition. I'm going to listen to three or four happy songs. Mm. I'm going to read, but I'm only going to read five pages. Or I might go and, you know, down the gym and sit on the indoor bike for half an hour. Mm. But, you know, nothing that is drastic, but a gradual and gentle reintroduction to those things that give me pleasure. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that that is a remedy for everyone, but it certainly, it really helps. Mm. You know, if you're kind of applying this to pass on to other people, obviously the biggest thing is to talk about it. But I would then, the thing I found is that we went through a whole kind of investigation and talked to several times to my wife about, oh, we should have recognised, we should have recognised. Well, the knowledge that came with hindsight and having lived through that experience was really tremendously educational for all of us. So it was learnings there. They see the times when I'm really tired and out of sorts and I can see, you know, uh, certain things within myself when I'm out of sorts. So I am able to manage it going forward. I think that it's important to be realistic. Certain people within, when I was being treated, said, oh, you know, rid the thoughts of it. And so if that's a suggested remedy, you're not really understanding yeah. how it gets in there and then it grows to a point where you start doing extreme things. Don't you think if I could say tomorrow, I don't want to ever think like that again, that would be top of my Christmas mm. wish list. Yeah. But, you know, it just doesn't work like that. But I think, and I don't want to sound complacent, it doesn't happen every week, does you know? And it will be there where... It will be, you know, certain things will set me off. You're not half as good as you used to be. You're mm. not achieving half as good as you used to, as much as you used to. And then, you know, over the course of two days, it goes from that to being, well, I don't know why you're doing your exercises anymore because look at the state of it. You know, it's really important to recognise how quickly that can escalate. Mm. And, and, you know, quite often people now sort of advise people to talk about it. Is, is that something that would have helped you? You know, I think the reason why I'm talking about it now, so that I said earlier on in the... is that by me talking the way I have, maybe some people who feel themselves to be isolated yeah. will recognise something. You know, talking definitely helps. I find it cathartic uh, you know I had no problem when I first went back to work and people were asking me about it I just told them there is no doubt it does help I mean you know I'm not medically qualified but I would say that is a major step right. towards help but I didn't know at the time that I needed help from mm. people I just thought I was very tired and I was out of sorts. So I think it's very easy to say that because that's what people generally say. You need to understand, first of all, that those feelings of inadequacy aren't unique, but they aren't normal from the point of view they're a true reflection mm. of your capabilities. 
So I, I, I would say that, yes, you know, talking to people does help. But I'm like this now because I've had experience yeah. of the downside of withdrawing into myself and not seeking the help. You know, I don't want anyone to feel the anguish that I felt, you know, and I can say to myself, no, well, that's ridiculous. Depth to which you pushed your own, in your eyes, inadequacy. And it, it is not, right, when I'm in the cold lights of day, ridiculous, I would almost say, but when you're there, it's not ridiculous. And you feel very lonely, and very isolated. Mm. So yes, you know, Talking does help, but I'd, I would have to say you have to first recognise that, you know, those kind of feelings of like, inadequacy or self-loathing or isolation, you're not the only person to have ever felt them, but also it isn't something that is part of the normal passage of life. Yeah, and you've you mentioned isolation and loneliness a couple of times, and as, as we were walking up here, you talked a lot about what seemed to be a very active social life, a sort of exercising social life. Did you actually have a social life then, or well, were you feeling more lonely? Were your friendships well, more...? Well, it, it, see, it's coming on the back. I mean, and I think anybody who knows me know knows I love me mates, I love going out to lunch, I love watching Everton, I love all that, I love exercise, uh, but very difficult for me because it's important to say how much I think that that physical incapacity had on me in as much that, you know, I did a whole round of TV negotiations from this front mm. room here. And actually, you know, looking back on it, you know, everyone was brilliant. The TV contractors came down, you know. Well, they came in, they literally came in. They came to the oh, front fantastic. room, they were fantastic. I was in a bed there and the deal was, you know, like an hour, two hours. Great guy, John Ever. He worked with us at Zenith, but he came down. We did the deals together from the front room. And to everybody, all the TV owners came down, several of the radio people came down and the, and the newspaper keeper came down. You know, it was wonderful. We'd negotiate and then the deal was crackers and red wine at the end of that session. And they all came in. They, and, yeah, I think to a certain extent that, that gave me a false sense of security right. because I was like, oh, this is not too bad. And then... I think what happened then, after the negotiations, well, you know, if you did them yourself, you know, there is a lull after the negotiations. Mm. And I think maybe I had to spend time by myself mm. because I, I was learning to walk again. I didn't realise kind of how isolated I'd become because I'm not going out and running. I'm not going out and uh, cycling. My mates were fantastic. The biggest obstacle for me physically at that stage was getting down the steps in front of the house. That was the biggest mm. thing. I was trapped in the house, essentially because I couldn't get down any steps. And once I'd mastered then, you know, they got taxis to take me to the best local pub here, Red Lion, and, 
you know, they took it in terms to take me out yeah. there, as did the uh, media owners, and getting out. But, you know, uh, that was like, I don't know, a once-a-week treat, treat because the practicalities of that were... There was still quite a huge physical challenge. And, you know, I had my accident in uh, November, and I was still probably not properly operational in April when I tried to go back to right. work, you know, and that was the big learning And when was the, the, the couple of days that you went missing? When were, was that? Uh, that was in May. May, May. Yeah. Okay. Can't remember now whether it was the... I think it was the second May bank holiday. Right. You know, so you had Monday and Tuesday off. And, you know, uh, so you had Monday and Tuesday off? I think the Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, I can't do this. So. And has anyone spoken to you since saying that they recognise in you something that they've been thinking about themselves? Or I've been very intrigued, Bruce. You know, obviously, I talked open about the fact that I'd had, obviously, a mental episode not like forcing it down people's necks, but I've been hugely intrigued by, you know, with those first lunches or those first get-togethers or those meetings once I'd come back after my breakdown. I could tell that the conversation wasn't just about concern for me. I think people were checking out themselves against my experience. Mm. And I think it's unlikely that anyone would ever say to me, you know, and I'm still, you can see, very open about it. Oh, I'm feeling like that. I'm glad you talked to me about that. Mm. I don't, I, it doesn't work like that. It might do in some ideal world. But I feel very sure that in certain cases, uh, it has resonated either with themselves because they're feeling that or they see certain of uh, my behaviours in other people that are close to them. Um, you know, and that went on for several months, actually, and I, you know, uh, was very happy, to, happy is the wrong word, but I was very cool about talking about it because, as I say, I want to help people who may be going through mm. that type of stuff just by talking candidly, hoping that if there is any anxiety on their part, they recognise something in what I've said mm. in themselves. And that, you know, that is my rationale for doing this yeah. type of stuff. There, But there's no doubt when you've met up with someone for the first time, you know, let's, let's say five or six months, and then they spend all the time, saying, how did you feel about this? And how did you feel about that? You do know during that conversation that either talking really about themselves or they're talking about somebody mm, that's close to them. Yeah. So what would you tell them specifically, like to get in touch with a specific organisation or just chat to their friends? Lots of organisations will relate you to, refer you to an organisation or whatever. I was very lucky and, you know, I go back to the fact that really... I had a very empathetic locum who saw me that right. day when my wife came with me and I said nothing. Now, I know it's really difficult in terms of COVID and all that kind of stuff, but you must go and speak properly to your doctor. Right. I mean, you know, I don't know people's circumstances, but if there is somebody close to them, 
you know, and they do recognize something in what I've said. Speak to those people close right. to them. Have you noticed, you know, have I been withdrawing, you know, am I going quiet? Is that kind of in comparison to before or is this is it this become worse? And you know, if people say, Well, actually you have been more withdrawn than normal, you know, that's that 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 to me is the warning mm. sign that people should be acting on. Now in terms of organisations, the this, the that and the other. You know, that's what doctors are there for. I, mean, I know COVID's there, but you've got to go and speak mm. to your doctor. And the other thing is, start, if he ever says like, oh, here you are, sleeping tablets and all that kind of stuff, go and see another doctor. I mean, I'm very fortunate, I, you know, I had the means to be referred to someone mm. and all that kind of stuff. But I think the people around you got to help you find that medical experts or whatever it is or because you you've got to have in my view some medical treatments you know talking to people is certainly a massive release i'm feeling low yeah 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 i'm gonna rest today yeah 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 i wouldn't know anything about cbt what sort of stuff do they get you to do on make lists so you know it's little stuff how long what do you like to do how long is it since you've uh, rung up a mate and had a chat to them? And so it starts off with, as I've highlighted there to get me out, what I want you to do is, those people you haven't spoken to for a while and you said are your friends, we want you to pick up the phone next week uh, before the next session and phone them and speak to them. And then uh, that's what you do. So how long is it since you read a book? Oh, I've been too tired to read a book. So what do you like reading? Right, so uh, I want you to read a magazine article next week. It's very, very, very simple steps. Right. But it's stuff that you can manage. Right. right I'm going out for a 10-minute walk. You know, you can manage that. I'm going to sit down and, you know, watch a TV programme with my wife. You can manage that. It's not like it doesn't work on the premise of... And like, how does it work? So, so by getting you into the patterns of doing these things... Of doing things that you like doing. Yeah. That you connect with. It works like you... Well, for me, it was like, make you a list of whatever. It doesn't matter what the list is, whether it's six or ten. But the six, the six very simple, almost everyday things... Mm. That by inspecting what they are on that list, you know you've redrawn from doing them. Right. You know, and I found that that works for me. You know, what didn't work for me was this notion, oh, don't think gloomy thoughts. Great. You know, I actually, to be honest, I have to be kind, that is nonsense. It's not how it works. If you could do that, you'd just say, right, I'm making a New mm. Year's resolution, no more gloomy mm. thoughts. And we'd all do yeah. that. We wouldn't allow it to enter in because it's too much it's too much pain comes with it. But that that that's what I found very, very, very uh, useful. And it's simple things. It's not about sitting down and analysing your emotion over this and that and the other. It's the recognition that you are in a gloomy period, mm. you know, the dark cloud or whatever you care to call it. And then there are certain things that you can do to ease your withdrawal from that cloud. 
and your uh, re-engagement with normal society. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I'm not saying that what worked for me will work for other people, but, you know, I think by speaking the way that I have, I think that, you know, I'd hope people recognise uh, if they are feeling like that, some of those symptoms, they do speak to those close to them and they elicit their help in engaging with the right kind of medical treatment. Mm. It isn't sleeping tablets. It isn't anything like that. If they don't show any real interest, get another doctor. That's what I would say. That type of thing, and I, and I please don't think I'm slagging the medical profession, but that is get you out the room now and not actually uh, taking charge of mm. you as a problem. You need somebody by you to be forceful on your behalf, particularly in this COVID period. You know, one of the reasons why I'm really pleased that, you know, when we have hooked up, my concern would be that those people are in, you know, I'm in a fortunate circumstance. I've got a very supportive family, but those people who may have lost a job, may be in a very cramped accommodation, who haven't got the facility to go out, release, are sitting there, and some of these things are stewing. Um, well, you and, mentioned isolation, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You're fortunate that you're, you've got friends and you're yeah. surrounded with people. You can empathise with people who don't have that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've talked actually not to bring the focus back to me about that, there is a lockdown syndrome mm. whereby, you know, particularly when they released it into the pubs, where you just go to the pub to see your mates. Mm. You, you know, it's not about having a drink. It's like, and it's great to see your mates. Mm. You don't realise the lift that that gives you. That is really, really important. And I, I would have, a, as I say, this considerably... Take between the, the the extreme lockdown, um, you know, tier three lockdown, I would have a genuine concern that those people who are vulnerable to those mental conditions are being neglected mm. in this current situation. I'm not saying at all that COVID isn't serious, but... I do think it's easy to overlook that. And, you know, you know, I mean, I don't know what the suicide rate is in under 30s across the sexes, but I know it's a particular, uh, it's a particular problem in the under 30 men. Mm. Back with my discussion with Chris Hayward after this. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Now back to my discussion about depression and the issues it creates. My discussion with Chris Hayward. How are you feeling now? Me? Um, you've touched on, um, you know, the talking part of it, and I'll be very frank with you, I find this uh, a very, very cathartic experience. Yeah. Very cathartic experience. You know, I'm in that stage where, you know... Were you like that before, though, Chris? You don't, you don't strike, strike me as someone who would have readily talked about his emotions or how he was no feeling chance. before. No chance. You know, uh, so this has unlocked something in you. Being candid about it has actually been helpful. Well, I think it's something you know, and advertising has changed. But I, you know, I came from a generation of TV buyers and all that, and they were all hard as nails characters. Mm. You know, you worked hard, played hard, you exercised hard. I mean, you know, I don't know that. Uh, I didn't have a more uh, emotional side, but I think very much it was to the confines of this house. Mm. Didn't go much beyond that. Yeah. And to a few very, 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 very close mates. Um, but, you know, the, where I'm now, as I say, cathartic experience, you know, I look out in my garden, I think, well, pretty lucky, you know, Wonderful, wonderful, uh, supportive family, you know. Whilst I now and again bemoan the state of my knees, I can go out and cycle. I've got mates who go out and cycle with me, lend me support. And, you know, I think all in all, the accident happened. There's nothing I can do about that. Uh, my mental condition is part of me as much as, you know, my wrecked knees. Nothing I can do about that. But I can, you know, like with, um, with me knees, I do lots of exercises based around balance and knee strength. That's my ball, you know, and that's what I can do to maintain some kind of mobility to, you know, later years. And with, uh, you know, my melting condition, it's, you know, the first part is an acknowledgement of it. Mm. It's there. It won't go away. The things that happened have happened. There's no point in me saying, well, I wish it didn't happen. It happens. It's then learning to, you know, say, well, if I start feeling like that again, what is it about that I can do about it? How can I manage it, you know, uh, this is the help of my family and friends and so on, actually, you know, not feeling on top of the world today and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't really have that much. I have nothing to complain about. Uh, you know, I've had a great career. I've got a fantastic family. Everything is doing better, you know, Um <laughs> You know, compared to a lot of people in the current circumstance, I consider myself to be very, uh, very fortunate. Now, that's me, you know, 
on a good day. You know, and it's been a while since I've seen you, mm. Bruce. You and I had a lot of uh, good uh, repartee, I mm. would say, mm. and meetings, and it's great to see you. Uh, there will be, without doubt, some time, I don't know when it'll be, when that little, oh, you weren't very good today, Chris, you didn't cycle very well, and then it escalates over two or three days period. But I know how to recognise that. I think I know how to deal with it. And that's just part of my life. Mm. Mm. I think recognising it is probably such an important gift for you now, isn't it? It is, yeah. I consider myself very lucky to have survived that experience, you know, the real low points, and then know that it will return. But I've been, I would say it's training, to be honest, thanks to CBT, to put some coping mechanisms mechanisms in it. I would just say, you know, as I say, within this, it's not about having philosophical debates about it. It's the recognition. It's the illicit of support. It's action. CBT works for me. And, you know, by the way, I've described the things that I uh, put into practice. It's not hard. It's really simple stuff. And it's all designed to make you re-engage and come out of that self-imposed and maybe unconscious isolation yes i mean look fascinating for me i was as you're sort of talking i was just thinking you know whether the world is evolving that people are more willing to talk about these things than they were previously and well i i it's difficult because you get all this kind of almost genderization and you know i think it's kind of dangerous women talk openly about their feelings and all that kind of stuff. You know, I've had a very, I would would say, deep and meaningful conversation uh, with you. But then, you know, I have loads of mates where it is built on talking about football Mm. and, you know, exercise or have you heard any new bands you know, and I knew this conversation was coming up, and I think, but would I want to change that? Well, I don't know. I mean, mm. I don't know that I would, but what I would say, that's in general, but I do know that there are still some mates I could talk yeah. to in, you know, real low periods. It doesn't make me anxious that, let's say, with my male mates, ninety percent of our conversation is mates chat. And if somebody was analysing it and eavesdropping, it'd be rubbish. It'd be mm. talk about no. That doesn't bother me. You know, I don't set out with the agenda to talk seriously to mates. Yeah. But you know, the good mates know you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we were talking about one uh, just before this started. He is brilliant at spotting when you're not on top right. form. And, you know, I've got all the mates like that, so I don't... You don't. So it doesn't have to be like this heavy thing that all you're doing now is sitting down, spending half an hour talking about how you're feeling, but more, you know, having an awareness that there's times when you want Having an awareness, it. you know, like... If you say you've got ten really close mates, there'll be three of them who kind of just get you and can see you low. 
do you know, they, they don't spend time trying to <laughs> make the other mm. seven serious. I think to some extent, you know, the, the way you've described this, your family and your friends have been a real gift here because oh, what you hear is that a lot of men, especially when they go over the age of 40, they stop having any of their own friends. And so, you know, you're fortunate because your recovery has been helped by the fact you've got these good friendships that you can draw upon. You have friends that you exercise with and you've got a family. And I think probably, actually, the story of this is how fortunate you were to have those things. Oh, that friend thing is really difficult. What's mates? What's friends? What close friends? What best mates? It's really difficult. Mm. What I, my my friends uh, during the whole period of the accident and then you know obviously my breakdown <laughs> they, they've they've all been they've all been fantastic no one's turned their back on me I mean that's the last thing mm. you know that's the last thing that happened you know me Everton mates have been brilliant God you know I go skiing with uh, with a group of mates who. My God, you know, when I was on my back, some of them came round to get, guide me down the steps and then we had lunches and dinners round at the red line where they all turned up, right, 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 right. And I mean, they, they just blew me apart. Um, they said, oh, you come and ski with us. I can't ski anymore. Oh, you come and ski with us and they chose a hotel where... Uh, you can't ski anymore now. Oh, but I, well, I, no, I can, I can. That's what I said to them first. I said, I came out, I went out, and I've been doing all my exercise, yeah. leg strengthening exercise, and all that kind of stuff. And when we got to the resort, uh, as I say, the hotel, we were gyms and stuff, and the idea was I was going to meet them for lunch, and they'd choose all these restaurants near the ski lift. Anyway, the first day they said, well, actually, we've had a change of plan. You're coming with us. I said, oh, you know, no, 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 boys, you know, it's too much. You know, we have operated this system, the nervous skiers. We call them rear gunners by people stand on the back of the seats. They said, you, you're going to have a front gunner as well. And for two days, these, uh, these mates, they... I was literally skiing about two miles an hour, so yeah. I couldn't find out. They were on the front of my skis, on the back of my skis. And uh, at the end of the first day, you know, I despised it all day, going two mile an hour. But in my own head, I was skiing with my mates. I just burst out crying because, one, fantastic thing for them to do for me. I mean, I know with hindsight, probably stupid and a bit dangerous, but, <laughs> you know, if I'd have fallen over, I'd have fallen on them. I'd yeah. say I was only doing about two mile an hour. My physiotherapist was fantastic after my operation. He was the person who really helped me. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, you know, if I can get to jog an old man's jog and if I can ski then that would be something. And, you know, he was a fantastic... He, he was into positive encouragement. And uh, at that stage, he, he raised his eyebrows and said, you know, you've had a really serious injury, but nothing's impossible, so we'll see what we can do. And when I went skiing and came back, I said, well, actually, Jim, uh, I've been skiing. He went, well, well done. <laughs> and uh, I've probably been about 
I don't know, half a dozen times since. Um, which, if anybody had seen the level of incapacity to get out, still astounds me quite honestly. I can't do anything fast, but I go basically on the widest red runs in the world. You're doing red, though. I do red runs in the world and then just ski down them. Anything which requires massive turning is out. Right. In my own head, I'm back skiing with oh, my mates. Oh, that's good. You know, I'm, you know, I'm pretty lucky and very happy of yeah. that. Thank you so much to Chris Haywood for sharing that with us. Like I say, if you are interested in finding more about these themes, please do go to the show notes. There's a whole load of details that I think anyone can tap into to try and put themselves in a better place. The most important thing to know is that this is a theme of issues that afflicts a whole load of people. You're not alone in feeling like this. If you did find some benefit, do share it with a friend. You know, passing these things on. Chris's whole objective, really, was to get this message in front of as many people as possible. Grateful for your time today. I've been Bruce Daisley. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.